0: I'm Angie Powers, I'm Elizabeth Stark, and And this this is Storymakers Show, and today we're doing Quick Fix Q&A.
1: That's where you ask questions, we ask questions, and some... And somebody I, answers Somebody them. answers them. So um, I will start with a question that came to me from one of our students who is doing NaNoWriMo and um, also uh, doing our Book in a Year class where we did a step list of scene by scene. So she wanted to know kind of what is a scene? What really is a scene?
0: That is either very easy... Or very hard, um, like many things. Like many things, so it, a traditional definition of a scene is <clears throat> action that takes place in a single location at a single time. That's and, like
1: Aristotle, right? Like and Unity so, and- yes,
0: yeah, so. Um, <clears throat> You know, so if you start in the kitchen and you end in the living room, uh, it doesn't mean the scene ends as you hit the threshold between those rooms, but that, you know, you might say the scene takes place in the house, right? There's a unity there. Well, and I think also this comes from stage plays. It it really does. So I don't find that as useful. Um, Is that the
1: really easy? We're just talking it out.
0: Yeah. The really Um, easy one is... There we go. Forget that. (laughs) um, But another definition of a scene to my mind is a, a unit of information that moves the story and your characters forward although just to say like summary could do that too so so that's Right, so yeah, right. So, I guess there would be that next level, which is that it is a, a dramatizing <laughs> of a given chunk of information that moves the story and your characters forward. Uh, there we
1: go. <laughs> All right, so how's that? Did well, that now, hold on. So, I just want to say because I went and created a craft class about this, and I wanted to run by you the six steps I came up with for creating a scene. And I was very clear with everybody that these weren't like the only six or these didn't have to, you know, not, I, I never, I'm doing hard and fast rules, What I'm actually, what I said is I'm, I'm pointing out toe holds in a cliff that other people used to climb it. And you mm-hmm. can climb in a different way, but just, but you'll just, probably fall off. <laughs> you may or may not. But so what I did was I looked at like a bunch of different scenes from a bunch of different authors and even in genres. And this is what I came to. So see what you think. So, so first, there actually is pretty much generally some kind of establishing shot. And, I, you know, I mean, I'm using the filmic term, but like mm. I'm t- talking about on the page, a um, time and, and day setting characters. Sometimes it's a little portrait of a character like in narrative. So it's not necessarily all visual time and place, which I think it more is more likely to be in film. But you can have a scene that like starts close up on someone
0: and still visual
1: what is visual but it's about character anyway so one is that establishing shot like a sentence too not like there are three thousand paragraphs and then there's the first move which I was mentioning to over lunch like I really like think of that as like a chess term that the first move is actually the first thing the character is doing and things fall over uh the first thing that the character is doing in the scene to get what they want or to you know deal with the situation and then very often there's an expectation so the character comes in with like a motivation and expectation but very often that comes after we see them act and this is something I've noticed a lot in my research for craft classes that very often the action happens first and then the explanation if there is an explanation comes second because we're not that we don't care that much If we haven't seen it happen already,
0: you know, we so so funnily enough, the expectation there might also be, you know, we're talking about what is a scene, but scenes don't really happen in isolation. Mm -hmm. And so some of that information may actually be underscoring the motivation rather than um, it establishing it. Mm-hmm. so Right, right. I mean,
1: action is, of course, much more establishing of motivation than any theorizing you could do about it. So anyway, so so establishing shot, first move, expectation, and then the reaction from the other character who always has their own agenda. Um, and then they kind of repeat, but the, I mean, these things can cycle around, a move, an expectation, a reaction. Mm-hmm. But I, I've made the clear point that, you know, you don't want to repeat beats. And mm-hmm. you could really see this in the class. You know, you just, you don't want, once, like it's really, fun to get to when somebody's really happy uh in a scene like to climb to there but then to sit with them while they're happy 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 in the same exact way you just don't care anymore
0: or a conflict that has no possibility of moving forward right -uh, -uh, yeah -uh." then you could watch a presidential
1: debate for that yes (laughs) (laughs) so and then um so and then last but not least um everything or something changes Mm -hmm. So that was kind of what I came up with.
0: Any thoughts on that? I think that's a a wonderful um, series of things to think about. Um, Pilar Alessandra often describes writing a scene as though you were writing a game. So you had the chess in there. Um, but the idea that everybody does have their motivations and that they do want to win their thing, even if their thing uh, they believe is what the other person should want. Um, everybody definitely has that. Uh, we were talking earlier about sort of that... Um, kind of a a litmus test for whether or not your scene is doing what it needs to do that comes from a book about Dramatica um, written by... And here, that's what fell on the floor. That's
1: the... I like the sound effects where
0: we're working here. (laughs) Uh, So it's... uh, Armando Saldana Mora. This will be in the show notes at storymakershow.com. Right. And so he's got his four questions to sort of test whether something is an event. Now, it may not be a scene by itself, but whether or not it's an event. And uh, these are the tests for eventiness. One Is it irreversible? So uh, if it's a change, you're like, oh, my scene changes, but it's something that could easily return to a previous state, then it's not an event. Does it change the character's circumstances? So uh, if it doesn't have any change impact on the characters themselves, then that's not an event. Mm -hmm. Does it give new and important purpose to the character? So when they leave that scene... Is there a a direction that you understand your character is going to move to next? You may not know what they're going to do next, but you do know that there's going to be a motivation to kind of move on into something something else. Different. Yeah. And then finally, is it meaningful to the character? So, um, you know, you could have something that is (laughs) cataclysmic, but doesn't. Impact your there, character. Again. So, so what? What is the point of that? And I would say that all of these add up to a very specific way of addressing the question: Does it move the story forward? Can you say the four really quickly again? Is it irreversible? Irreversible. Does it change the character's circumstances? Change, okay, change circumstances. Does it give new and important purpose, purpose. to the characters? Ooh, new purpose. So that's like it's another kind of change, really. right? And is it meaningful to the character? So all of these things, um, if it's not meaningful to the character, it may not be in that mode. But I mean, if it gives them new
1: purpose and it changes their circumstance, like, don't you think it, I mean, it'd be hard to come up with something that did those things and wasn't meaningful.
0: Well, you know, let's say you uh, had a goal of someone using the restroom in a very busy restaurant. And when they got there, the toilets were out of order. <laughs> so uh, now they have a new purpose. They have a new purpose. Well, it's really it the changes same their purpose. circumstances. It's the same
1: purpose. They have to find a new toilet, but it's the same well, purpose. Well,
0: no, now they go outside knowing there is no toilet. So now they're seeking a place to go to the bathroom where they can be undisturbed, just, uh, but it well, may not be meaningful. I think that's the same purpose. I think they have to wet
1: their pants. Okay, and, and, and now they're seeking like new pants. Okay, because then okay. they have a new purpose, right? If you're if you're looking for if you're still looking, if you're looking for a place to go to the bathroom, and
0: then the toilet's broken, you're still looking for a place to go to the bathroom. Okay, so. We, as professional writers, think the best scene we can come up with is search- searching for a toilet and wetting your pants. <laughs> okay, this- let's just admit we've also done a
1: lot of parenting of young children over the past decade.
0: Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> And it's good, you know. I mean, it actually reminds me. I mean, if you me make the person more, it gets better. There, well, the stakes go way up. Well, I think about Planet Tad, okay, right? So in, Tad. in in Planet Tad, there's this a scene, a yes, They're funny, very funny middle grade book, uh, where Tad goes to a dance, and he goes into the bathroom to freshen himself up because this is his opportunity to spend a little time with a little someone, and he has a nightmarish run in. With the sink, the sink, and emerges from the bathroom with a new purpose, which is to leave the dance before anyone sees him. <laughs> his splashed, so he area. looks like he yeah. So he's got a splashed area. His tie is all messed. So up, he didn't so.
1: actually wet his pants, but it looked as exactly. though he had. Right,
0: right. right. So, so it's that consequence. Middle grade. So
1: let's look at the per- let's look at the let's just test that scene right now on those four. And okay, And we'll move on. Is it irreversible? Well. Certainly in middle grade, you'd feel like if you have to walk. I mean, you can't stay in the bathroom. He can't stay hours in the bathroom without losing the chance. And he can't really engage with the chance with this. So I guess it is irreversible. Okay.
0: Does it change his
1: circumstances? Yeah, he's about oh, to go yes do the dancing, and now he's, he's not. not. All
0: right. Does it give him a new and important purpose? Alas, yes,
1: right? Because his yeah. first purpose was to sort of pull himself together to be ready for this encounter. Now he's trying to sneak away from
0: it. I mean, it's... Right. And I would also say that, you know, moving forward, it now makes it that he's got to, if he wants to engage with this person, he has to come up with a new way to engage he to with o- them. And he has to overcome what happened. Right. Right. And then is it meaningful to the characters? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember middle school? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs)
1: Uh, So, yeah. All right. So, fantastic. I think we've given a lot of stuff for people to chew on about scene and. uh, All right. Moving on then. All right. So, my question is how complicated or not should a story be? so this is and i'm gonna repeat that okay (laughs) how complicated or not should a story be i can of course complexify that but i'm gonna just
0: i think my question back to you would be what does complexity mean to you
1: Well, I guess, I mean, different things going on from different angles, different, different stakes, different kind of problems. I mean, so maybe it's connected to unity or not. You know how unified should a story be? I guess that's probably it. Like complicated in this instance means lots of different things going on for the different characters Mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of a a more simple, solid through line, and then I don't know what other... I guess... I don't know. That would be simpler.
0: Well, I think it speaks to genre because I think that... um you know, somebody who's doing something more experimental can definitely use a broader net to make it that cohesiveness. Somebody who's doing something very, uh, genre specific and based on the expectations of a given genre, um, I think has to hew to those. And so, uh, the, the, interesting thing is the way that they meet or break the expectations that are really clearly set so i think that would be my first question about how complex something could be
1: that makes sense to me it makes me think immediately of uh, a visit from the goon squad me too (laughs) how funny is it sitting right here (laughs) um because that is is has lots of complexity Um, And yet it's, it's unified by theme and also by all these crisscrossing nesses between the characters. Mm -hmm. But she didn't even call it a novel until the paperback. It was a marketing decision. She didn't call it anything. She was like, I hope this sells. (laughs) And she was still Jennifer Egan. You know what I mean? But she was like, I don't know what this is. I'm writing this obscure little book. Right. I mean, I hate those stories because I always want to think I'm writing, like, this incredible next big thing, and and I guess I have to just decide to write something really obscure. Ooh, I like that as a strategy.
0: Okay. (laughs) You look concerned. Well, I just don't think it's very useful necessarily to chase the market. Right. Well, this
1: is what I call narrative superstition, where I think, like, if I'm expecting one thing, it, it can't happen. Because, right, because in a story, well,
0: it can't. listening to Tim Ferriss this morning in How Do You Learn Anything, right? He's got a, an episode on meta-learning. And one of the things he said was, you know, I guess the guy who invented Nautilus in the back in the day said, you know, if you really want to build muscle, well, you go to the gym and you find the person who is just, like, bulked-up, giant... You know, 300-pound wall of muscle, Mm -hmm. and you ask them for very detailed instructions on everything they do, and then you do the opposite. And so, Wait, what? The uh, opposite. The opposite. Because, um, you know, his theory was that very often people who are successful at certain things are successful in spite of, not because of, their routines and plans. Whoa, you're and, blowing my mind. I know. And his example was very often those guys are in the gym for, you know, eight hours a day, right, doing the I lifting. and don't have time for that. And Well, not just not only do you not have time for it, but... If you are trying to become really good at something and you talk to somebody who is, you know, kind of almost at the top of the game, very often they're putting in a huge amount of time. So that offsets the... cost of an inefficient process mm. and so um so he's got a number of really I, fun uh <laughs> examples in that I podcast so intrigued by that I will say that you know my students are often coming to me and
1: saying like uh Cheryl Strayed said you know she never cuts and pastes for example she never cuts and pastes and there was this time and she just started typing over again I'm sure there was a time when she just started typing over again but I am also sure there's a time she cut and pasted right like and I think that
0: we just don't who can remember our own processes? Well, the other thing in, in that story, he's, he talks about when, you're, when you are working with someone who has been doing something for a long time, it's very often challenging for someone to know what was confusing and challenging for them as a, as a new person. Beginner. And so those aren't always the best people to go to. And, um, you know, so he's got this example of two videos on YouTube. One is of Michael Phelps, who is like, you know, multi-gold medal winners swimming teaching you swimming and then one is this other guy whose name i can't remember but i will find the link and he's got a completely different program than michael phelps and they were saying for learning to swim this guy is actually a better thing to watch because one he learned to swim at 37 Mm and then two he's not like a ripped swimming athlete but he has phenomenal form Hmm. right so he's able to look at what makes a difference and use that and so it's like well it's like effort as opposed to kind of something you've
1: created that has become intrinsic or something like right um so i want to mention the the script notes guys all these little things are going to be linked in the show notes, but they're so derisive about people who teach screenwriting and aren't like famous screenwriters. Mm-hmm. Of course, they don't teach screenwriting because they're too busy being famous screenwriters. But this,
0: I think, goes against the grain of that mm-hmm. objection that they have, right? Well, in addition, I would argue they are screenwriting teachers. They have conversations <laughs> on a regular basis right. all the time. They answer questions, <laughs> but and ideally, but, like that's what your teachers doing is helping you think of a framework that's accessible to. To you and that allows you to move forward. So. But they're but
1: then they're they fit their own model because they're teachers who are succeeding in the field, right? Which is which is nice, yes, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so I don't know if we completely answered my question about how complicated a story should be.
0: Okay, well let's get back to that because I think that. Um talking about how anything a story should be mm-hmm. is it should be informed by the story itself so certain certain formats are going to be much more um, complex mm-hmm. certain you know it puts me in mind of Meglevov's personal thematic and would you explain so i i had the opportunity to work with megalophove who went on to work with pixar and write a couple of the films that they did i went to cine story where she's a teacher Um, and she did this wonderful exercise that i cannot replicate in any way shape or form but it really helped you look at the things that you were attracted to in terms of the art you respond to the stories you find compelling and finding commonalities between things that might seem very very different and that basically basically you have a personal thematic a question a a thought uh, that you pursue through art to better understand and it's not stagnant doesn't mean that you will never write about anything else but i do notice that for myself i write a lot i think a lot about redemption for me that's a really big personal thematic Mm -hmm. um and
1: and just and, and um Anne Patchett says that she writes about um, like like a bunch of people t- trapped together in a small space. Mm-hmm. She has something yeah. where
0: she talks about <laughs> yeah, or you stuck know, in some circumstance, right? You know, and so she does a wonderful thing. Apply to Sin a story or support them at their uh, website, and you can donate there. They're really good people. Um, but she is
1: me- meglophove. But
0: she is meglophove, and um, so. The reason I bring that up is in terms of talking about what we write about. Some people are interested in complexity in a way that's not true for everyone. Some people want to find a concrete way of a very streamlined story that gets you very quickly to the emotions. Someone else is very interested in the intellectual play between real life and um, story. and, And we see a lot of people, even just, you know, as Mika was talking about... You know, in our last podcast. In our last podcast, how you break apart genre expectations and, and, and sort of citing uh, Michelle T in her uh, new work, which I have not read yet. But that idea that, you know, your character is having this sort of emotional Armageddon. And uh, as a, an author, she takes the liberty of saying... And in fact, the entire world is ending. Um, Those kinds of things come from your personal thematic. And so I think complexity also can stem from that.
1: Okay, but so just just last point on this, though, is um, in the same way that like story is different than life. Right. That a Mm scene is different from something happening. And that's Mm -hmm. a point I made a lot in teaching this week is that. You know, in life, like something can happen and nothing changes and it still happened. But, you know, but but you don't include it in a story because nothing happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And so is there a simplification that is part of just something becoming a story in the same way that there's a a signification? Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think um, I don't know. Right now, I'm just deep in my uh, automating your routine thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. and one of the things that the author does talk about is really breaking down to the most minute detail what the actions are you're taking okay. and what that does is remove decision fatigue mm-hmm. right and so i think i think the underlying stuff needs to be simple it needs to be really simple mm-hmm and, um, and through simplicity, we can find elegance. And then we layer on the execution over that. So, um, you know, we, sh- we should still be able to tell the story verbally and have people kind of excited and engaged by it. Um, but I do think the understructure needs to be not very complicated
1: and actually as you say that i come back to how much i love that because it's exactly what i need that runs counter to my mm-hmm. you know propensity to complexify things to just have that framework that's very clear and simple knowing that if nothing i produce is going to end up being clear and simple
0: well you know i just this is this is my metaphor you think about a beehive and the truth Can is No, no.
1: Insects.
0: (laughs) The insects, right? So you've got thousands of these animals doing these things. They're insects, but they're animals too. Mm -hmm. Um, So they have thousands of them in a single space. And all they're doing is repeating a shape over and over and over and over. But in that shape, they are making honey. They're raising young. They've got a community. They're communicating through they've got one hell of an automated routine they do have one hell of an automated routine but there's also flexibility they can go they can go out and explore and come back and they're able to build these crazy structures off of one simple shape save the bees yes save the bees uh because they're a great narrative metaphor not because our entire food chain is dependent on it um but that's i guess that's my metaphor for writing you can do incredibly complex things with very simple um structure frameworks yeah
1: build the thing you're gonna fly off from
0: before you fly off yeah well um this has been story maker show if you have questions, send them to questions at com, And don't forget to, uh, I was going to say report us, but what I mean is <laughs> review us. Let them know what you thought. At Stitcher and, and on iTunes. And if there's a place that we should uh, be sharing our stuff, but we haven't, please let us know. And thanks so much for joining. Bye. <laughs>